afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Annie Maher, Programs Coordinator at the North Coast Environmental Center. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU, brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Eco News. Don't forget you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. Today, my guests are Oregon State Representative Pam Marsh, who also has lived in and owns a business in the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument, and ecologist Evan Frost, who's been working on the National Monument cause for over 20 years, here to discuss recent updates in our national monuments. So thank you both for being on the Eco News Report today. Oh, thank you, Annie. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So just a brief background. We're going to look deeper today into what National Monuments are, but first, why are they of such concern right now? National Monuments are protected public lands created under the Antiquities Act, similar to a state or national park. They are conserved for their beauty, ecological, or recreational purposes. The difference is that the president can create them without congressional approval. In April, President Trump asked Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke to review 27 national monuments, and Zinke's final report was released this month. So first off, feel free to introduce yourselves and tell our listeners what your work entails, especially in regards to public lands. Maybe Pam could kick us off first. Sure, you bet. Well, my history with the monument goes back about to 1994 when my family and I moved into the mountains in southern Oregon and we bought a business there and we lived on site for 10 years. At that point, what we experienced was the beautiful forest that was surrounding us. This was pre-designation of the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument. In 2000, in the waning days of President Clinton's administration, there was the establishment of the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument. And all of a sudden, we understood that we had a very unique vocabulary and way to describe the biology and the incredible diversity surrounding us in that forest. We embraced the monument along with our neighbors, and we advocated for its expansion, which was designated in the beginning of this year, in the waning days of President Obama's administration. Of course, it all was thrown into turmoil in the later months of this year with the investigation, as you described, from from the Interior Secretary Zinke. So now we're fighting to preserve what we know to be an extraordinary landscape. Mm -hmm. I also serve as a state representative, so I'm involved as well with the state of Oregon's response to attacks on the monument. Awesome. And Evan, how about you, about your work with National Monuments? Yeah, as an ecologist, I've done ecological research and monitoring and field assessments in and around the monument area, southwest Oregon, for a number of years, and have always just been amazed at the incredible ecological values that are in this particular landscape, which is kind of a nationally outstanding hotspot of biological diversity Mm -hmm. of many different groups of organisms. And so that's how I got really excited about the potential of of protecting the area as a monument. So on that topic, Pam, why don't you tell us a bit about Zinke's final report and what it recommended for national monuments? Well, the report was put together after he took a very fast tour through the monuments. I was involved in some of the meetings that he had in our district and was quite impressed by the lack of depth or understanding that he appeared to have as to how the monuments function or why we even have this one here. 
Mm-hmm. And the report then was put together and released, it leaked really in August. We still don't frankly know exactly what he's going to propose for the Cascade Fiske National Monument. We, we do understand that he's going to propose that it be reduced in size. He may also include in that some changes to the management plan, which could have some pretty devastating impacts on the ecology of the area. But frankly, the initial report was filled with some errors. Some of those have been corrected. It still demonstrates very little understanding of what we're trying to do here. And the details are yet to come. And of course, immediately following Zinke's report, President Trump announced that he did in fact plan to decrease Bears Ears and the Grand Staircase Escalante by respectively 85 and 40 percent. Why do you think he targeted these monuments? Why are they so important? Well, some of those, it's interesting, some of those were controversial in their own communities, although they were expanded for some very good reasons. In our community, there was actually, there is a great deal of support for Cascades Issue National Monument. The Ashland City Council and City Chamber of Commerce endorsed expansion, as did the the Talent City Council. Those are the two little towns that are most adjacent to the monument. Those of us who live or own land in the monument support its existence and its expansion. You know, I think this is a political move for, for certain members of this space. Which brings us back to the topic of this never have been done to this extent by any president in U.S. history. National monuments have been decreased, but never to this extent. So what does this mean as far as setting a precedent for future presidents? I think we're going to see a lot of court action around that. You know, this is we are not anywhere near final resolution of these issues. There's going to be a lot of pushback here in the state of Oregon. The attorney general has stepped up to say she will challenge it. The governor's supportive. Our two U.S. senators are pushing back. And undoubtedly, all of these efforts are going to be subject to court review. And that court review could take a long time. So we're sort of settling in for a long-term fight here. And maybe Evan can weigh on this also in respect to all of these lawsuits coming up on the topic. What is the current consensus on the legality of Trump's actions? Well, the general consensus that I've heard is that since this action has never, it's unprecedented in the history of the Antiquities Act that a president would rescind or or dramatically reduce a monument to the extent that Trump has already in Utah and is proposing potentially here in California and Oregon that, you know, the legal scholars are basically saying the Antiquities Act is clear that a president has the authority to create but not to rescind or dramatically reduce monuments of previous presidents. So that's basically the the arguments that the court will be hearing. And so you're both thinking that at the end of all of these lawsuits, we'll come to the, we'll set the precedent for what will be decided on the legality of decreasing national monuments, essentially. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. So as both of you have already mentioned, the Zinke's report recommended decreasing the boundary of the Cascade Siski National Monument. Is that correct? That's what we understand. Yes. 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 And for our listeners who haven't visited the Cascade Siskiyou, where is it located? And tell us a little bit about it. Maybe Evan can weigh in on that. Yeah, the monument is in southwest Oregon and also in adjacent Northern California in both Siskiyou and Jackson counties. And so it's an area that straddles the divide between several different large landscapes or ecoregions where the Siskiyous bought up against the Southern Cascade Mountains and then the Great Basin and inland California valleys are coming in from the south. So it's a, it's a big transition zone and intersection point for these large landscapes that allows for a lot of diversity to occur 
in a relatively small area. And could you tell us a bit about the ecology of the Cascade Siskiyou and why it's so special? Yeah, so it's, like I said, in such a small area, we have a whole host of different natural communities and species that can be found together, ranging from, you know, oak woodlands to old-growth forests to a number of other different plant communities and a number of unique species, a number of rare species, threatened and endangered species. And so it's just a kaleidoscope of different elements of diversity that are all, again, packed into a relatively small area that make it so special. And it's my understanding that the Cascade Siskiyou was the first national monument created on the grounds of biodiversity. Is that correct? Yes, it's the first monument that the the primary reason for establishing it was because of this outstanding level of biodiversity. So a very special place. Other monuments certainly have captured and talk about, you know, important elements of flora and fauna, but Cascade Siskiyou is unique, and it was, and it was the primary attribute. So, Pam, Cascade Siskiyou National Monument is under your jurisdiction, correct? Yes, almost all of it. Some of it now with the expansion goes into California and mm-hmm. into Klamath County, which is not part of my state district, but the preponderance of the, of the monument and all the original monument is in my district. So from your perspective, why do you feel like it's being targeted by the Trump administration? Well, that's a good question. You know, we are barely over 100,000 acres. He set, he determined that 100,000 acres was going to be the threshold for the monuments that would be examined. I, I would, would harken back to the earlier comment that this is really a political move, I believe, or some specific members of his base, and potentially for Congressman Walden, who is the only Republican from Oregon and who has been a, a, a very loyal to the president. And what special interests will benefit by decreasing the size of the Cascade Siskiyou? It's my understanding that the timber industry is a big support of this idea. Well, that, it's a, that's a really good question. Who will actually benefit? There, you know, Clearly, this is timbered area, and yet a big chunk of it is wilderness, which is not subject to the limitation of, of the monument. There are county interests who would like to see us log the Oregon, the, what's known as the ONC lands. A number of those lands are going to wind up protected because of their, their specific quality and their location. Certainly, you know, we have some traditional state interests, in, including in relation to grazing and timber. The fact is, most of that activity is really not a vital part of this specific piece of the world. And it's also true that we have that the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument acreage is a very small proportion of the ONC lands. So to state that we have to treat all of those ONC lands across the board in the same way that they all have to be subject to timber, that we shouldn't look at the unique qualities that they present to the ecosystem seems to me to be extremely short-sighted. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned before, there was a lot of local support for the Cascade Siskiyou, correct? There was. I mean, it's certainly not, it's not unanimous. There are folks who would like to see more natural resource extraction take place there. Mm-hmm. We think that's inappropriate for a lot of reasons, and we think there's many other places that we can talk about doing those activities. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, there are a whole lot of us who really understand why this is particularly important in landscape, why in, in times of climate change it's important to provide more acreage and different elevations 
so that the flora and the fauna that are unique to this area will have an opportunity to move into protected areas. We also see from an economic point of view the advantages to the local economy, which is basically a tourist economy in having the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument as part of our agenda for people who come here as a reason for people who come to Southern Oregon to stay longer or visit a different part of the terrain. So, you know, in, in addition to the ecological issues, which Evan can speak well to, we have some recreational and really economic reasons for supporting the monument as well. Mm-hmm. So overall, you'd say it's a pretty big draw for people coming to the state of Oregon or Northern California, or it could be. Yeah. I think it. I think we haven't, you know, the monument is still relatively new. It's been on the ground for just since 2000. And we are starting, we've only this year developed the point where we actually have a visitor center that's manned. So we're starting to understand how to promote it, how to explain it, how to educate people around what is a very interesting and complex story about the biology of the area. The potential in future years is tremendous. Right. And you you mentioned it being beneficial in terms of climate change. Evan, is there any special research projects done in the Cascade Siskiyous that have benefited the area or can give insight on climate change in the area? Well, the, the, the important role that the monument can play, one of the important roles it can play with regard to climate change is, again, it, the monument itself and the area that it encompasses is a really important connecting point between these two large mountain ranges. And so as the climate changes, species will need to adapt and be able to move to accommodate the, the new situations that arise. And the monument can actually provide this connecting point for species to be able to successfully move to new habitats and areas that they can persist into the future. And so this is one of the primary reasons why the monument will provide this important function in a changing climate is that it facilitates species being able to adapt to the changes that are coming down. And it sounds like it also provides connectivity between other protected areas in that region. Yes. So uh, I believe it was Pam that mentioned how the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument was increased this year, or there was some kind of update this year on its status. Can mm-hmm. one, one of you, maybe Pam, weigh in on what that was? Sure. Well, as I said, the, the monument was originally established in 2000 at 50 or 60,000 acres. We've grown it a little bit since 2000 when willing landowners have been agreeable to selling particularly critical parcels to the BLM so that they can be added to monument acreage. So we've wound up about 65,000 acres. And then a group of scientists, and Evan can probably speak more to the detail of this, came together about in 2011 to look at the landscape and to say, have we really done the job? Our, Our intent here is to protect the unique flora and fauna is the, is the existing monument, the 65,000 acres, big enough to do that? And their consensus, and they put out a, a very impressive report, was no, that it's not. And that's, that's true for a number of reasons. First of all, the original monument was subject to some political boundaries. It ends abruptly at the California border, which is clearly not where the critters and the fauna stop, but that was a political choice. So we had some political boundaries. We also had increasing understanding of climate change because we are just seeing climate change unfold in front of our eyes in southern Oregon. So the importance of adding acreage was even more clear to us. And 
there was a then uh, ensued an extensive process to really look at what those areas should be to involve people in talking about them. And in the end, President Obama agreed to an expansion that put us, what's the total acreage, Evan? Is it 110,000, 106,000? I think it's like um, 113. Okay. Again, just so we added basically about 45,000 very carefully chosen acres to provide more elevation and more land for, to support the original intent of the monument. And as you mentioned earlier, it's it's compared to national monuments like Bears Ears or the Grand Escalante, it's not a huge region of space. It's proportionate to no, the area it's in, yeah. That's a tiny, it's this little yeah. nugget that really connects, you know, some very unique areas. That's why we have this amazing biodiversity, because you have the coming together of multiple mountain ranges and multiple species. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Econews Report. I'm your host, Annie Maher, from the North Coast Environmental Center, and we're talking with Oregon State Representative Pam Marsh and ecologist Evan Frost about the state of our national monuments. So, Pam, some have made the claim that national monuments impact private land use within its boundaries, and as someone who owns property within the national monument, maybe you can weigh in on what the actual status is of private landowners in regards to that public space. I am so glad you asked that question because it's so interesting because it's not well understood at all. In fact, it was my impression that Secretary Zinke didn't understand it when he came to visit. The fact is that if you own private land within a monument boundaries, as my family and I do and have since before the monument was established, you are unaffected by the monument. We can do anything that the county and the state land use board tell us that we can do with our property. In fact, since the monument has been established, we've actually done some significant development of tourist cabins on, a, on our own property. So there, there is no impact, except that the lands that are adjacent to you are protected in, in some significant ways. But I, am, I can put all the trees on my land if I want to do that, simply unaffected by it. That's good to know. So it's it's important ecologically, and it doesn't impede on private landowners in the area. And Evan, if there's anything you haven't already mentioned about the importance of preserving national monuments or, or public lands in general, you can totally add that in now. Yeah, well, just on this point, I would, I would add that private landowners within the outer footprint of the monument boundary representing, I think it's over 14,000 acres, have written letters of support. Uh, for the monument and for its expansion. So they they actually want to be included inside the monument. And it's contrary to what appeared in Zinke's report that somehow private landowners would be adversely impacted by this decision when it actually seems to be the opposite of that. People are actually wanting to be inside a nationally recognized protected area. Yeah, I imagine it's a really beautiful place to live or work in. It is yeah. beautiful, and... We, we could just add that when, way back in 2000, when the monument was originally put together, there was a, a survey of people who were landowners within the outside boundaries. And even at that time, when we didn't really even know what it meant to be in a monument, we, there was majority support for that monument. And that's just grown with people over the years, many people who have intentionally moved in adjacent to or within the monument because they want to be a part of this landscape. Mm-hmm. So when... When do you two think it will officially be known what's going to happen to the Cascade Siskiyou or if it's going to be decreased in size or if the rest of our national monuments may be cut back? Is there a time frame when people can expect to see that happen? Well, the administration seems to be relatively secretive about how this 
whole process is coming down, and, you know, a decision could come at any point. Similarly, as what happened in Utah, a decision was made, and it was in the news the following week. So Mm -hmm. we don't really know when the administration will make a call on this. Right. And Pam, you mentioned certain people are suing over this issue. There are certain people stepping up. Well, we're certainly anticipating Mm -hmm. suits to challenge the question of the Antiquities Act and the way Secretary Zinke and the president are proposing to use it. We're, we're just standing by on alert, basically, and trying to tell the story, and we appreciate the opportunity to do this, of why this is such an extraordinary landscape and why it is important for us in this day and age when we're, you know, our, our, our landscape is really beset by multiple challenges for us to step up and, and protect it. Mm-hmm. So aside from these lawsuits, what else, from maybe from an ecological standpoint, what are activists doing, Evan, in regards to helping to save national monuments? Well, I can speak to this particular monument. Like Pam said, you know, we're, we're continuing to build a case as to why the existing boundaries are necessary in order to protect the objects of interest for which it was originally established. And... And just, yeah, standing by so that we can be ready. Pam or Evan, have either of you heard about what other states or activists are doing to combat this issue? Because I know that within the report, there were there were several monuments that were recommended for cutbacks, not just the local Cascade Siskiyou. So have you heard at all about what any other states or activists are doing to, to take on this conflict? I think there's going to be an attempt to coordinate some of these campaigns and court cases. I And I'm, I can't provide a whole lot more detail than that. I know there's pushback, going to be pushback, is pushback in every area, every region in which there has been a reduction. Some of those areas have broader initial support for the, for the monument and others. Uh, but in all cases, you know, there's a, there was a clear reason for the designation of the monument, and our the attempt to undermine that is, is what's going to be at issue in the courts. Mm-hmm. And Evan, from an activist standpoint, what have you heard at all about what other groups are doing to kind of take this on? Yeah, I think similarly, you know, groups are continuing to build their constituency of why these monuments are important, why the natural heritage that they protect is is essential for all Americans, and why cutting them back is just really totally counterproductive to our long-term best interests. And, of course, the big question is, what can everybody else do? So what can people in Oregon and California do or nationwide to say that national monuments are important to them and that they want to keep them the way they are today? Maybe Pam can start out with, start out with that and Evan can follow up. Well, I think expressing that, stepping up, speaking in every venue that's possible is a, is a really important effort, I think. You know, even in areas where there's not a monument, the ability to speak to, in particular, federal elected officials, but also state elected officials and the community at large is really important. Explaining what monuments are and questions like how they affect private property, which are simply well not well understood questions, are important. And really articulating the value that we see in stepping up for for the landscape and trying to preserve some of these wild areas for generations to come. I think you just can't say that enough in the current environment. Mm -hmm. And as you just said, you feel like 
Sinky did not fully understand some of the aspects of his report. Is there something people can educate themselves on that they feel like weren't properly portrayed in, in his recommendations for what to do with our national monuments? Well, I think there are many sources out there who, who can talk about monuments from a scientific and cultural and recreational points of view. We are trying here in Southern Oregon through various nonprofits to really tell that story in an accurate way to people. I think you just have to understand that what's coming out of the federal government right now has a very distinct filter, and you have to push through that to really understand things like how does this affect private lands and, you know, what what's the reason for actually taking this on? And Evan, how about in your case, what you think people can do to to do something about Yeah, because this. a lot of this is playing out at the federal level right now, I would say that just really expressing our our concerns and our what we value and with respect to our public lands and specifically our our national monuments to our federal representatives and letting them know that this is an important issue and that we that if we believe that these monuments should stand as a testament to our nation's natural heritage then then they need to hear that because they're the ones that are getting to weigh in on some of these issues as they evolve. So essentially calling, writing, emailing your local representatives yeah. and state representatives and letting them know that you support public lands. Yep. Yes. And also, mm-hmm. I, I would just add a P.S. I think while it is, and we have talked mainly about federal representatives, a lot of the pushback is going to come at the state level. So informing our state elected officials of your support for their pushback is also really important, as well as local. I mean, at, at all levels, we need to really just stand up. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. And and Pam, I've had a lot of debates with friends about the best way to contact your representative, phone, email, petition. Do you have any opinion on the best way to go about doing that, the most impactful way to contact your representative? Well, most of our communication these days tends to come through email, of course, and, and what is most effective there, if you don't have an opportunity to directly speak to someone at a town hall or another venue, the use of email can be effective, in particular if it's a personal email that, that's not been generated for you by somebody else. And personal messages, every we all pay attention to because it, it really means that someone took the time to send a heartfelt message. Yeah, that's good to know. Well, I can't thank both of you enough for all the work you're doing to help save our public lands and for being on the show here today. Thank you so much for an opportunity to talk about it. It really, this is vital work, just making, you know, sending the, the message widely, as widely as we can about the importance of these areas and the support that we need to demonstrate. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to this really important issue. Awesome. Thank both of you so much. So today we discussed the... Thank you. Today we discussed the cutbacks to national monuments, including the recommendations by Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke to decrease our nearby Cascade Siskiyou and what that means for public lands everywhere. And I will include the links to your guys' websites and other important information on the KHSU page so listeners can take action. Fantastic. I just wanted to thank you both again for being on the show. That was awesome. Excellent. Super. Thanks for having okay. us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Annie Maher from the North Coast Environmental Center, and I've been your host for the past half hour. 
My guests today have been Oregon State Representative Pam Marsh and ecologist Evan Frost discussing national monuments. You can find more information at khsu.org. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the Public Affairs page on the KHSU website at khsu.org, where these programs are archived for two weeks before they air. Previous shows are posted on the North Coast Environmental Center's website at yournec.org. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call KHSU's listener comment line at 826-6089. The Econews Report is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us for the next Econews Report.